Okay, we are in the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're reading now from verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but the precious but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of the seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Okay, so he starts off here and he says, If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time of stay on earth. We address God as father. And if we address him as father, Peter warns us here that he impartially judges, he judges according to each one's work. He judges according to each one's work. <clears throat> we looked, we looked at, uh, at, at this verse last week, Colossians 3.25. Colossians 3.25 says, For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without, without partiality. And we saw a video last week, <clears throat> a short video by, by Jordan Peterson, and in that short video, he talked about how, as a clinical psychologist, just looking at this purely as a clinical psychologist, that something happens in a person's life, <clears throat> and they think that that is so hard and so unfair. But then the clinical psychologist will track that back, track that back, and all of a sudden it's, oh, this was the source of that. This thing that happened four years ago <clears throat> was the initial source of that. And his conclusion as a clinical psychologist was, nobody ever gets, with, gets away with anything, not even once. Nobody ever gets away with anything, not even once. This is exactly what the Word of God is telling us. Nobody gets away with anything, not even once. <clears throat> so if you think that everything is, is just, just fine <clears throat> and, and, and there's, there's little accountability, you're wrong. We are held accountable for these things. And this is in the body of Christ. We are not held accountable in the sense that we lose our salvation. That is set in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and the admonition today is for those who are part of the body of Christ those who are saved, those who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ. That's the admonition for us today. I am not going, I'm not talking about people outside the church. This is for people inside the church. Peter is writing to the church 
And he's writing to people and he says in verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 1, If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Conduct yourselves in fear. You address him as father, just remember he's judge and conduct yourselves in fear during your time which is on the earth. Remember the other thing that Jordan Peterson was saying, when you read the Old Testament, it certainly looks like this, that if you don't get it right, there is going to be judgment. The judgment may not just affect you, it may affect your whole family, all the ones you love, and your entire culture could be wiped out. That's often the pattern you see in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there are certainly cultures that are wiped out all the time in that time in history. And so he says, you want to be careful. Then he says in verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. So he says, you were, you came out of a feudal way of life. What does that mean? It, it means that not all ways of life Not all practices that we have are equal. There can be a futile way of life. There can be a wrong way that we do things. Now, I'm not going to call out right way, wrong way. What I encourage you to do as a believer in Jesus Christ, because we have so much wokeness in our society telling us things are just fine, which five minutes ago everyone agreed we're not fine. Just five minutes ago. And all of a sudden they're fine. And in fact, you don't, you don't just have to accept them. You have to celebrate them. What I bring you back to is the Word of God. I encourage you to read the New Testament and let that speak to you. Long after you and I are dead and gone, this Word will remain. As we read in verse, in verse 24, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You and I will die and be gone, forgotten, but this word will remain. This word will remain forever. This is God's word forever. For all of humanity, for all of the universe, this word that we are meditating upon will remain forever. That's why I urge you to read the New Testament and obey it. You say, well, you know, sometimes these things, you know, are, are just, just offensive. You know, we, we certainly don't want to offend anybody, right? I mean, that's like the worst thing you can do on earth is offend people, right? Jesus would never offend anybody, right? Okay, so let, let's, let's look at, at, uh, at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and we're going to start reading from verse 37. It's a very interesting passage. Now, I want you to get the context here. Jesus is invited to somebody's home. You know when you're invited to somebody's home, you're generally on your best behavior. Jesus is invited to somebody's home. But remember who Jesus is. He is God of the universe come in the flesh. God come in the flesh. He's invited into the home of a Pharisee for lunch. And here's what happens. Luke 11:37. Now when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. 
And he went and he reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw, saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within his charity, and then all things will be clean to you. Clean for you. Okay. So he's invited into somebody's house. He doesn't ceremonially wash. This is not scriptural. These were the rules of men. And if you go into an Orthodox Jewish home today, you will there will be a place for you to wash up. If you go into an Orthodox Jewish restaurant, there is always a place right there in the restaurant where you don't have to go in the restroom to wash your hands. There's a place right there where you can wash your hands. That's the practice. Jesus didn't do that because it was not written in the Word of God that he had to do that. Not that he's against cleanliness, but you don't have to do that. So Jesus sits down and he starts eating. In verse 38, when the Pharisee saw... He was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed. He didn't even say anything. He just looked at it and thought in his own mind. Boom! Jesus goes right after him. He says, But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside you're full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones. If you're reading the King James, it says, You fools. Did not he who made the outside... Also make the inside. But give that which is within his charity, and then all things will be clean for you. And you'd think like, oh, okay, he's done. He's not. He's not. I mean, he just sat down to eat. But woe to you Pharisees, verse 42 of Luke chapter 11. For you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. Where did this come from? I mean, Lord, did, did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? I mean, what's going on here? He was just invited to lunch. And he says, you know, you pay tithe on everything. But you've disregarded justice and the love of God. You should have done the former things. You should be tithing on everything, but you should not have neglected the other. And he says, by the way, woe to you Pharisees, because you love your chief seats in the synagogues. What does that have to do with anything? In the guy's house. He says, by the way, when you go to your synagogue, you love the chief seats and respectful greetings from people. Uh, Mike, I think somebody has become unmuted. Uh, and and uh, uh, woe to you, for you like conce- you are like concealed tombs, and people who walk over them are unaware of it. One of the lawyers said to him, "So Jesus, Jesus just got done obliterating the Pharisees. You think the word of God is not offensive? Not only is, a, is is it offensive, it's insulting and highly convicting. And this is how it should be." Because a pastor says one thing about what the Bible says, and people are like, I'm not coming to this church. I, I can't believe they're like this. I mean, people would be like this? I mean, just look at the Word of God. That's why I encourage you to read the New Testament. Everything that offends you, just rip the page out. doesn't apply to you anyway, you know, because what does it know, right? You want to do that? 
Verse 45, one of the lawyers said to him, now these are the, 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 the scribes, uh, uh, the, these, these ones that really keep track of the word. One of the lawyers said to him, teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. So Jesus says, I'm sorry. I really didn't mean to insult you. That, that was not my intent. You know, because I, I, I don't. Verse 46, but he said, woe to you lawyers as well. For you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves would not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and prove the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some they will persecute. So the blood of the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. The blood of all the prophets shed shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zacharias. When he says Abel, Abel was the first person that was killed. Remember, Cain slew Abel in the book of Genesis. Zechariah is the last prophet to die in the Hebrew Scriptures. The Hebrew... Our Old Testament is the same as the Hebrew Scriptures, but they order it differently. Their last book is Second Chronicles. The last person to die in Second Chronicles is Zechariah. So when he says Abel to Zechariah, he's saying from, from, from A to Z, beginning to last, all of them, all of the prophets, boom, it's on your step, doorstep. You're responsible. You lawyers, today, at lunch today, you're responsible for their deaths. The blood is on you. Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the keys of knowledge and you yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. Can you believe what it would be like to be Jesus' disciple? Be like, oh. I mean, Jesus is just reaming these people. This is what the Word of God is. I want you to remember this. When the Word of God says something, that bothers you. It says in verse 53 of Luke chapter 11, when they left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. I want you to check your heart. When the word of God says something that offends you, that offends your woke culture, will you come away from this and hate Jesus? Will you hate his people? Will you hate his church because it has offended you? The word of God is smoking hot and it is there to keep us in line. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He assesses our love for him by how we keep his commandments. And he says, and my father will love him and we will come to him and disclose ourselves to him. This is what it says in John chapter 14, verse 21. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Just remember that. If you don't love him, you'll get upset with his commandments. You'll get offended with his commandments. The word of God is smoking hot and Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He goes against the culture of the time. 
Um, let's look in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28 in particular. 28 is the first verse that I read from the Bible that convicted me. And the first verse that I read from the Bible that opened my heart to receive Jesus. Matthew 5, 27. You have heard it said you shall not commit adultery. Well, we've heard it said. That's one of the Ten Commandments. As a Jew, I knew that commandment. Verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That one convicted me. I was addicted to pornography from the age of 14. In the place that I was working, uh, uh, I found all these magazines. And from the age of 14 to the age of 18, when I heard the Word of God, I was deeply involved in pornography. That verse convicted me. Why should I even care? Why should I care? Why should this Jewish kid from New York City care what some guy 2,000 years ago says? Why should I even care? For all I know, I didn't know Jesus was a Jew. I thought he was a Christian. Why should I even care? But this word convicted me. That was the first time I knew that I was a sinner. And he says, to look at a woman for lust for her. I didn't know how to look at a woman any other way. I'm just telling you, I didn't know how to look at a woman any other way. And he says, he's committed adultery with her in his heart. How can you commit adultery in your heart? I thought you commit adultery by doing something with, with, with your physical body. Jesus gets right at our heart. But it doesn't stop there. If the Word of God convicts you, let it convict you. It doesn't stop there. It goes on. He says, he says, um, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body go to hell. Maybe he doesn't mess around here. I took steps. I took steps in relationships with young women to be free of this. I never wanted to meet with a young woman alone for what might happen to me. I take steps to this day. A young woman walks in my office. The door, office door stays open. Now, it's not like if the door closes, I'm going to pounce on her. But I don't even want the appearance of evil. The door stays open. He says, you take steps to guard your life. It says, um, in verse 31, It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is smoking hot. You know, this is why I like to teach young people before many of them have married and been through a divorce. Because if I say this in a normal church service, so much conviction is heaped upon people they think that I mean. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. You want to be offended with him? 
In John chapter 6, Jesus said some things that were offensive to lots of his disciples, and they all left him. They all turned around and left, except for the twelve. And when they left, you know what he said when they were leaving? Nothing. He didn't go, whoa, 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 come back here. You've got to build a church here. I, I didn't mean to say things that offended you. It says they were offended by what he was saying. What did he say? He said, unless a man eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he has no part of me. They were offended by that and they left. And he let them leave. Then he said to the twelve, do you want to leave also? And Peter said, for we have come to know and believe that thou art the Christ, the Holy One of God. We've come to know and to believe that thou art the Christ, the Holy One of God. They put Jesus first before their culture. Jesus said this. I didn't say it. There are many things that the New Testament has to say about the way the world is going. In my position as a professor at the university, there are many things that I cannot say. So I don't say it. I say, read the New Testament. You want to walk with Jesus? Read the New Testament. This will define for us the way to go. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Antiquity doesn't even make it good. Even if this way of life has been passed down from your forefathers, doesn't make it right. He says it was a futile way of life. The way I live my life is supposed to be in conformity to the Word of God. That's what it says. Will this word offend you? Will you be like the Pharisees and say, I'm not, I'm not going to take this. No way. Did you know everybody who is called by Christ, this is not for people of the world, this is for people in Christ. Everybody who is called by Jesus is called to have their life in conformity to Christ. He says we are to be married to an individual for the rest of our lives. And the only thing is, if there has been unchastity in that marriage and a pattern of that, that is the only thing or death that can separate that marriage. And, and uh, uh, he, he makes that actually quite clear in Matthew chapter 19. He says that's the only thing. He calls every one of us to one sexual partner for the rest of our lives. That's what he does. He calls everybody to one sexual partner for the rest of our lives. That's not what the world says. That's what Jesus says. One sexual partner for the rest of your life. That's what he says. Unless death separates you, or in the extreme case of marital unchastity. If you're not happy in your marriage, unless there's been a, pa a pattern of unchastity, 
I'm just telling you, that's what the Word of God says. And there are many lifestyles that we could pick out and start talking about here. But I can't go near it lest I lose my job. So I say, let the Word of God speak to you. Will you obey it? One partner for the rest of your life. He calls everybody to self-restraint. Every man, there is not a man here who is married, who has not had sexual feelings for a woman outside their marriage. If you say you never have, I don't believe you. But we can't act upon that. Because we are to come in conformity to the Word of God. Everybody is called to sexual self-restraint. Not by me, but by Jesus. Jesus is very firm on this. The Jews had actually practiced that you, it's easy to have a divorce. And that's what they challenged Jesus with in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said, no, it was never meant that way. It was never meant to be that way. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, Matthew 19, 3, testing him and asking him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and he said, have you not read what he cre- what Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He made them male and female. Jesus' definition. And And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined, let no man separate. Period. He was done. His teaching was over. What God has joined together, let no man separate. He was done. But the Pharisees wanted more. Only when they pushed him did they get more. He was done. You see how firm he is on this? This is not me. Get upset with Jesus. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. There are many things that are permissible. But he says, it's not the best way. It's not the best way. This is why I urge young couples who are struggling together. I urge them not to divorce. I urge them to work this thing out, to go into counseling. I've been in counseling many times in my marriage. We'd go for tune-ups lots of times. We needed it. We got it. And I've been married over 40 years, and I'm thankful for it. And I love my wife. I love to be with her. But there were times that things were not going well, and I am so glad that I didn't ditch the marriage. Now, that was never in my mind. Never. I remember we went to one counseling, and she, she... Mentioned, you know, the thing, terms about divorce. I'm like, what are you talking about? Neither of us has ever mentioned divorce. We want to flow together well, but divorce was not in our nomenclature. It wasn't there. It wasn't going to happen. I had made a commitment to her and to God. So I was going to live together in war or in peace, and I'd much rather have peace. He says, Moses allowed this because of your hardness of heart. It's because our hearts are hard. 
that these exclusions come in. From the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. That's smoking hot. The disciples said to him, if relationship of man with his wife is is like this, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement. Some of those, it's been given to them. Uh, um, For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there were eunuchs who were made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He was able to accept this, let him accept it. He says, not everybody can accept this. We push marriage so much in the church, but the highest ideal has always been singleness in the church. Paul spoke about this. You can serve the Lord. I mean, you, you, I saw this with a good friend of mine, Eric Mingle. Many of you might know Eric Mingle. He worked, he was one of the campus ministers with Chi Alpha. He was the greatest campus pastor. He would stay up late at night with guys, counseling them, talking to them and everything. Then all of a sudden he meets this young lady and I knew that's it. His ministry's toast. It's gone. <laughs> and sure enough, you know, once he got married, he couldn't stay up late at night talking to guys, counseling them, living with them and doing, and his effectiveness in, can, in campus ministry, let's say changed. Changed. And, and, uh, uh, because Singleness is a great thing, but not all people can accept it. There's no way I could have accepted singleness. I was not designed for singleness. I mean, my mind was on women all the time. I mean, even when I was reading the Bible, I mean, my mind was on women. I was so glad when I got married. I wanted a wife. I'm not one of these guys who was called to this. Some people who are called to this, they don't have that kind of drive. I've met people like this. Some people, because of circumstances, find themselves in it. They want to marry, but it never happens. And Jesus describes all of these things. But there are things in our culture which are coming upon us and coming upon you much more than they ever came upon me. I urge you to read the New Testament and see what it says. Jesus said, I sent to you prophets and apostles. Prophets and apostles. Some you killed, some you mistreated. He told the lawyers. He sent to us prophets and apostles, and that is documented in the scriptures. Listen to them. Your life will go much better. I have tracked divorced people for decades. And I hear them say, you know, they're, they're, they're in their second or third marriage. They'll say, you know, my first marriage really wasn't that bad. Yeah, you think it's going to be so much easier on your second or your third. <clears throat> and you reflect back. To, it really wasn't that bad. I wish I had stuck with it. My kids would have grown up much differently. It will destroy your children at any age. It will destroy your children. I've known people to say, oh, well, you know, we, we had an amicable divorce. In fact, we're better parents now to our children than we were. 
You give them 10 years and you see the effects of the children. Jesus knew what is best. I'm telling you, trust him. Jesus said in John chapter 8, He who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. I trust him. I trust him. I trust his counsel is right. I trust his word is sure. I urge you to follow his word and your life will be so much better. I urge you to do that. I urge you to read the New Testament and to say, Lord, what you command me, I will do. I will not resent you like those Pharisees did and like the lawyers did because you said something that upset me. I will not resent you because I know what you have said to me is best for me. I know this is best for me. What you have told me, I will do. It is best for me. Don't leave him. Don't turn away from him because it offends you, because it offends your culture. I guarantee you, your culture is wrong. He is right. The grass withers and the flowers fall off. All these things, you know, you, you, everything is about me and my flesh. Look, your flesh is going to wither up. I mean, you look good today. In 50 years, you're going to be all shriveled up. You really will. And, and uh, uh, you're going to be different. All your, your big muscles are going to be gone. And you're going to have trouble even lifting up a few chairs. And you're going to be like, they used to throw these things around like it was no problem. These things are going to fade, but the Word of God will remain forever. This word will last for eternity. Now, for those that of you that have already blown it, Jesus says this, Jesus says this, I, even I, Jesus says this, he says it very clearly, he says that, that I will come and I will forgive your transgressions and I will remember your sins no more. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, have forgiven your transgressions for my own sake and I will remember your sins no more. I have forgiven your transgressions for my own sake and I will remember your sins no more. Jesus said, I have forgiven your transgressions for my own sake. Isaiah 43, 25. What's this for my own sake? And I put it this way. I have four children. If any of them were to ever end up in jail, I would immediately bail them out. And if they said, Dad, for what I did, I deserve to be here, I would say, there's no way I'm leaving you here. If it's within my power, I will mortgage my house if I have to to get you out of this jail. I'm not leaving you here. That's what God says. I will forgive your transgressions for my own sake. I'm not leaving you here. And I will remember your sins no more. If you've already blown it, I urge you from this day to pick up this word of God and start walking according to it. Committing more acts of sin is not going to correct the past. It is obedience to his word. I urge you to obey his word because every one of us needs this. Every one of us needs this kind of forgiveness. And he is there. He will Forgive our transgressions for his own sake because he loves us that much. He will not leave you here. From this day, make a commitment to read this book every day and obey it.
If anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments and my Father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our abode with him. We will make our abode with him. That's John 14, 23. You love his commandments, you obey them and God, Jesus, the Father and Jesus will come and make their abode with you. John 14, 23. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, for unbelievers that may have heard this message who are totally unable to walk in these truths. Father, I pray that you would draw them to Jesus this day, that a soul would be saved, that they would say, Lord, I believe you are Lord, and that you have risen from the dead. Forgive me. Forgive me. And Father, Father, for those that know you, I pray that they would walk according to your word. For many of these young people, I pray, Lord, that they would walk according to your word because you have the very best for them. And Lord, I ask that you would so move in the lives of these young people that even when they've blown it, they would trust your word that you have forgiven their transgressions for your own sake and you will remember their sins no more. And from this day, they will commit themselves to obey everything in the word of God, everything in the word of God. I pray your blessing upon these young people. Lord, I pray that they would not be offended by your word, even as Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended by me. Blessed is he who is not offended by me. Father, may they not be offended by your word, but say, Lord, fulfill your word in my life. Protect their lives, I pray, for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.